It is great to see all of you this morning. What a beautiful sea of smiling faces. I love that. Oh, welcome. I'm so glad that you are here. You will need um, this morning an outline and a verse sheet and your Bible. So if you don't have an outline and a verse sheet, raise your hand. That's what these gals are doing. They're passing those out for those of you that may not have gotten one. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, you, there should be one under your pew seat so that you can uh, use that, because we are going to be reading God's Word this morning. I am Deb Haygood, and I love the first day of Bible study. It's so exciting to be here. Everything is new and fresh. Our notebooks are new, and what we're going to study is new, and you're in new groups meeting new people. It's exciting. It reminds me of the first day of school, and I always like that. But I know that some of you in here may not have liked the first day of school. Maybe it was uh, scary to you, or you felt lonely, or maybe even it just wasn't what you expected. So if you're out there today, and you are here and thinking, this is not what I expected, um, please come back. Maybe next week will be a little bit different, and uh, you'll enjoy it more. And also come up and introduce yourself to me. I would love to meet you and talk to you after um, the Bible study today. Which makes me think, how many of you are here for the very first time ever to Women in the Word? Raise your hand. Ooh, look at that. That's great. Great, yes. And so that means all the rest of you have been here. You can raise your hands too now, have been to Women in the Word before. Great, thanks for coming back. Love that. I'm so glad that each of you have made that decision to study God's Word this fall. Psalm 34, 8, and that's on your verse sheet, says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That word taste there seems a little bit different. It's not kind of what we think of when we think of reading God's word and knowing God. But God is involved in our life in all areas, whether we know it or not. And he wants us to experience him in all different kinds of ways. And so I love that word taste because I'm thinking of that, a different way of embracing God this semester. And it also reminds me of a story that happened this summer. Uh, My daughter had a baby girl in June. And by the way, her name is Hallie. And Hallie comes from hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. And I am praising the Lord for um, her little life. And I spent a lot of time down in Houston this summer um, helping take care of baby Hallie and her big brother, Dylan. Now, Dylan is my two-and-a-half-year-old grandson, and uh, they talked a lot about him being big brother. And he took advantage of that every chance he could. And so one day, I was chewing gum, and he said, Grammy, can I have some gum? Well, his parents had never given him gum before, but I thought, that seems like something a grandmother should do. So I took one of the little peppermint white chiclets, and I broke it in half, and I gave it to Dylan, and I said, okay, now just chew. Chew and chew. Do not swallow it. Chew. So he chews, and his eyes are big and wide, and then he got this big smile on his face, and he goes, mmm, spicy. And I cracked up laughing because I thought, what a big descriptive word for a two-year-old, spicy. But I thought about that story all summer as I studied the Psalms and read the Psalms. And I thought, that's what I want us to do. I want us to taste God's word. I want us to take it in and delight in it and relish it so that we can come to the word of God like a little kid chewing gum for the first time. And maybe as we take it in, we might say, hmm, Loving, Mm, forgiving, 
we might say, hmm, confusing, hmm, challenging, or maybe, hmm, encouraging. But I want us to take in the Word of God, embrace it like that, and let it become a part of us. And that's why we included homework for you all, because we want to give you an opportunity to study God's Word on your own. And then come back and share what you've learned with your small group, if you want to, and listen to the other gals in your group and see what they have learned. And that's important because the very best thing you hear all day might be something someone says in your small group. Now, if you're here for the very first time, you've never studied the Bible before, please do not be afraid of the homework. And I have a suggestion for you. Here's how to begin. Get your Bible and your homework And start out praying that God's Spirit would reveal God to you in the study of His Word. And we know that the Holy Spirit does that. Jesus tells us that in John 14, 26. I have that on your verse sheet. It says, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Jesus tells that after his death death and resurrection that the Holy Spirit would come and it would teach us all things. And that that, um, phrase there means everything we need to know to grow spiritually. So pray and then read the scriptures and answer your questions. And the more time you spend on your questions, the more that will, will be revealed to you. We're going to have 11 psalms that we're going to look at this semester. And so since we're talking about embracing God's word with passion, I have another suggestion for you. And this might seem a little weird. But when you read these psalms, try reading them differently than you've read the word of God before. Maybe you want to read it out loud. Maybe if it is a happy psalm, you want to stand up and sort of dance around as you're reading it. Maybe if it's sad, if the author is sad, get into that and kind of read it with groaning. Maybe you might want to sing it. Just put a verse to it, I mean, to tune to it, and just sing those words back to the Lord. And I love it because the psalms are meant to be sung. And we sung um, some, some verses today, some courses, that have psalm verses in it. The psalms are easy to sing. So if nobody's listening to you, then just um, sing the psalm as you read it and begin your study. We've talked this semester um, about these 11 psalms, and we've entitled this uh, Shout to the Lord. And the teaching team uh, includes five other women besides myself. So you're going to see different faces up here throughout the semester. And the title, Shout to the Lord, comes from Psalm 95, verse 1. And I put that on your verse sheet. And it says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. That title, Shout to the Lord, doesn't mean that we have to yell at God, although sometimes we might. What I was trying to convey with that title is that we want to speak to God with passion and involvement and honest emotion. The Psalms lead us into prayer. Sometimes our prayer might be one that's out loud and happy with singing. Maybe the psalms are going to lead us into a prayer that is silent with tears. Maybe the psalm will lead us into a whispered confession or angry pleading with God. All of that is in that title, Shout to the Lord. 
The Psalms take us to God in all kinds of situations and experiences. There are 150 Psalms in the book of Psalms, and they are written by different authors over a time period of a thousand years. The very oldest Psalm is probably Psalm 90, written by Moses, and we're going to look at that this semester. And then the, um, then the, the very latest, earliest Psalms, or latest Psalms written, were Psalms 126 and Psalm 137. And those were written during the Babylonian captivity and right after the Jews came to Jerusalem after the captivity. So you see a long period of time over which the Psalms were written. And different authors. But the primary author was David. David wrote 73 of the Psalms, and probably some of the anonymous Psalms were written by David as well. So that makes David the principal author of Psalms. And that's why you will hear oftentimes them referred to as the Psalms of David. This semester, these 11 Psalms, most of them will have been written by David. And I also wanted us to look at the background. What was taking place when this psalm was written? What prompted this psalm? So when we have that information, we're going to also look at other scriptures that give us that background. I want us to see that these are real situations with a real person calling out to God with honest emotion. The psalms um, are not placed in any specific order by date or by author, and they were likely compiled by Ezra, who was the priest that came to Jerusalem after the captivity. We're not going to be studying them in any specific order either. The Hebrew title for the book of Psalms is Tehillim, and Tehillim is derived from the Hebrew verb Hallel. Hallel means to praise, and that's where the Hebrew word hallelujah comes from. It means to praise the Lord. Now, not every psalm is a praise psalm, but the main theme of psalms is to praise God. And often, even in the laments, even those psalms that are sad or crying out to God or petitions pleading for God, you will see praises woven through them. And usually they end with praise as well. We get the word psalm from the Greek language of the New Testament, and it literally means a poem sung to... uh, the accompaniment of a stringed instrument. So it's a song that was sung with music. The psalms are written in poetic language because they are songs and they are poetry. Because they are um, poetry, sometimes there will be different things in there that make it difficult to read, but it also makes it uh, so beautiful for us to read as well. The psalms were written to be sung, and maybe all of the psalms, we know that some of the psalms for sure were used in temple worship. They were sung in temple worship. So um, the psalms are a songbook. Man's chief end is to glorify God, and the psalms give us the words to do that. Psalms is also called the prayer book of the Bible. And over the centuries, the church, God's people, have used it as such. The Psalms are unlike some of the other books in the Bible that teach us history and doctrine. The Psalms use a language of intimacy. One author said that they are words towards God more than they are God's words to us. 
when we um, lift up the Psalms, they can be prayers to God. And so the Psalms teach us to pray. And not only do they teach us to pray, but they motivate us to pray. They draw us into prayer. I had one friend that told me she loves the Psalms because the Psalms give us permission to pray our heart. Permission to pray our heart. They teach us to pray. They motivate us to pray. And there are all sorts of emotions that we see in the Psalms that we can pray. Psalms of thanksgiving and confession. Psalms of praise and distress. Laments. Psalms of meditation and prophecy, history. All kinds of things going on in the Psalms. And yet, at the same time, they teach us about God. They are words to God, but we learn about God as well. We learn God's character, God's attribute, God's purposes and plan. And we see Jesus Christ throughout the Psalms. Some Psalms are purely prophetic Psalms. But Jesus himself tells us, and this is on your verse sheet in Luke 24:44, that he is in the Psalms. Because he says, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So look for Jesus as you read the Psalms this semester. The Psalms touch our lives wherever we are emotionally, and they work to give us relief. Psalms also provide profound insight into our lives. One author said this, our masks are pulled away, our pious words fall flat, our true feelings are open before God. That honesty and transparency in God's presence is what draws us back to the Psalms over and over again. So let's take our Bibles now. Take your Bible and open it right to the very center. My Bible's kind of falling apart here, but just kind of open it right to the center. And what do you come to? Anybody in Psalms? Hopefully you turn to Psalms, maybe all of you turn to Psalms, because Psalms is the very center of the Bible. And I think that that might be because Psalms are central in the human experience. The Psalms are written for the heart to worship God in all situations, from your time of deepest need to your times of greatest joy and everything in between. So now that your Bible's open to Psalms, let's turn to Psalm 19, and we're going to take a few minutes and look at that psalm. Psalm 19 is a beautiful psalm of meditation written by David, and I'm going to read it to you out loud. Okay, let me tell you, for a brief moment, I thought of having a little tune and singing this, and that didn't last long. Because I realized that that would be more of a distraction than a real teaching technique. So let me read it out loud. But I did, in the privacy of my own home, I did sing this psalm as I read through it. And I even made up a little tune that I sang on the way today for that last verse. So I did sing it, but I'm not going to do that for you today. So listen as I read. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. 
In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. What a beautiful psalm this is. David wrote this psalm, and he is meditating on God's revelation of himself, God revealing himself to man. Now, we know that David wrote this, but we don't know when he wrote it. It might have been when he was a shepherd boy. 1 Samuel 16 tells us about that. He would have been um, outside on the hills with the sheep and seen many sunrises and many sunsets and starry nights. But others will argue that the high regard with which David holds the law of God would put the writing of this um, later in his life when he was king. And that makes sense to me. But more important than when he wrote it is what he wrote. David is reflecting on God's revelation. In the first six verses, God reveals himself through his creation. And we see in these verses beautiful examples of imagery. Now, imagery is a technique used in poetry, and what it is is picture language. And these vivid images make the psalms meaningful and memorable. And you're going to see imagery throughout the psalms that we study. In verse 1, it tells us, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. The skies tell us of God. And that ver- uh, the word there for God in Hebrew is El. And El is a general word for God. It means almighty, powerful. And it's the word for God that is used in Genesis 1. In verse 1-1 when it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That word for God there is El. And let me explain for some of you that might be new for the very first time. In the Hebrew language, they used different words for God. They had different words that meant different things about his character and his attributes. And I love that. I wish we had um, different words for God. So when I say that that was El, that is the word for God that meant mighty and um, powerful one. Verse 2 tells us that every day and every night, the skies point us to God. They are continually pointing us to the creator. In the message, um, it's translated like this. Madam Day holds classes every morning. Professor Knight lectures each evening. Continually, the skies point us to a creator. And then in verse 3, it says, There is no speech or language for their voice is not heard. Now, your translation may say that um, a little differently, but the point is still the same here. It's the thought that this unspoken language fills the earth. 
The message of God's glory is seen in nature. It is understood by all. All nations, all peoples, all languages understand the glory of God seen in nature. It fills the earth. Now, if you're like me, you grew up in the church. You, from your very earliest memories, had people telling you that Jesus loves you and God is good. Then you might hear that statement I just made and think, is that really true? Could someone never hear about God and be in nature and know that there is God, that there is a creator God? And I've been thinking that, and just this week, a very good friend of mine reminded me of how she grew up in a home where her parents didn't talk about God when she was little. And before she had ever been to church or heard about God, she used to play in her backyard. And her backyard backed up to a prairie, and so there were lots of flowers and grass and clover and butterflies. And she said to me, Deb, when I was a little girl, I knew there was God, and my heart longed for him. It's true that God reveals himself to all mankind through nature. And that's what Romans 1, verse 20, is telling us. And that is on your verse sheet. It says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. What has been made, God's creation, tells us of his eternal power and his divine nature. God's creation is a witness to God himself. And then David goes on in these next verses to tell us about the sun, the dominant feature in the sky. And he uses more picture language about the sun. First, it's this illustration of a bridegroom coming from his pavilion. Now, in the culture of the Israelites, the bridegroom would be dressed in his very finest clothes, probably new clothes. They would be the very best, and they'd be decked out with jewels, and he'd have bracelets on, and he would come forth from his tent or his home, and he would walk in a procession to the home of his bride. I think for us, a better example today would be that of the bride. Um, I was in several weddings this summer, and the bride was beautiful in every one of them. And there's that moment you all remember when you're at a wedding, and the music um, kind of plays, and everybody stands, and the doors open, and there's the bride. And we all turn our heads to look at the bride, except for those that are looking at the groom to see that big smile on his face as the bride walks in. And there's all a hush over all of us. And, and then sometimes there's even, you can hear people taking their breath in. Because it's so beautiful as the bride in her dress walks down the aisle. That's like the sun coming up in the morning. It just takes our breath away for a minute as we see the dominant feature of the sky rising in the morning. And then he tells another example, and that is the runner running his course. And how the sun also has a course that God has set for him. Now, I am a nurse at JPS, and I work just part-time, but I have to be there at 6.45. And so I have to get up early, and I have to get on the road early. And um, I love the summertime, and one reason is because of all the light and the long days. And when I get up at 6.30 driving to work, it is light in the summer. Well, as the days, you know, summer ends, August comes around, and the days start getting shorter. And so... A couple weeks ago, the end of August, it was darkish outside, and I got in my car, and I immediately started whining to God. Oh, I hate to see summer end, and the days are... Nah, nah, nah. And I get on I-20, and all of a sudden, there was the red ball of sun just coming up over the horizon, and it kind of just stopped me. 
And I thought to myself of the awesome power of God because I thought, you know, the sun is coming up right now and when I get off of work this evening and I'm driving west on 20, there's the sun going to be going down in the west. What an awesome, powerful God who controls the course of the sun. And that's what verse 6 tells us that it rises at one end and it makes its circuit to the other, and nothing is hidden from its heat. Nothing is hidden from the sun. And just like nothing is hidden from the sun, nothing is hidden from the um, creator of the sun. The revelation of God is seen throughout that uh, revelation of God through creation is called God's natural revelation or his general revelation. And that is on your outline. Nature or creation is called God's general revelation. And just as the sun is seen and felt everywhere, so is the creator of the sun revealed throughout the world. On your outline, it's revealed throughout the world. Then we come to verse 7, and now David is going to talk about the greater revelation of God. God is revealed in his word, and that is called God's direct or specific revelation. Specific revelation on your outline. He uses the word here, um, law, and we talk about that as the word, the scriptures, the holy Bible. That's what we mean when we use the word, God, when we say God's word. The scriptures. It is the Bible. And in the Old Testament, they called it the law. And in verse 7, David says, the law of the Lord. And that word there, law, is the Hebrew word Torah. And the law means the revealed will of God. It has a bigger definition than you might think. The law means the whole content of God's revelation of his nature and purpose, which, by the way, makes clear man's responsibility before God. Did you catch that? The law is the whole content of God's revelation of his nature and purpose. And in that is made clear what man's responsibility is before God. Now we hear the word law and oftentimes we get all caught up with rules and do's and don'ts and um, performance. And God all of a sudden is somebody with a little checklist checking off our performance And then you say, Deb, you know, we're in the New Testament. We're grace. Ladies, grace is all through the Old Testament. Grace is all through the Psalms. We learned that grace in the Old Testament last semester when we studied Deuteronomy. Grace precedes the law. As we studied Deuteronomy, we saw God take the Israelites out of Egypt, out of the cruel hand of Pharaoh's enslavement, First was grace, then he led them into the Mount Sinai where he gave them the law. Grace precedes law. In my um, evangelical dictionary, it said this, The law of God is not a system of merit whereby the unsaved seek to earn divine favor, but it's a pattern of life given by the Redeemer to the redeemed so that they might know how to live for his good pleasure. That's what the law is. Have you thought of God's word like that? God's word is given to us 
by the Redeemer so that we might know how to live for his good pleasure. And that's what David is going to tell us about in these verses 7 through 11. And you can see why I love this psalm and I love this part and I thought it was a very fitting psalm for the first day of Bible study because David is going to point out to us the benefits of God's word. So let's uh, look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Now the word there for Lord is Yahweh. And Yahweh is the Hebrew name for God that is the personal name. It's the relational name. So now all of a sudden David is talking and meditating on God's word and he uses God's relational, personal name for him, Yahweh. And he says that the law of the Lord is perfect. That word perfect there means covering all aspects of life. It's complete. And I love that it's verse number seven because seven is the number in the kind of God's economy, that means perfection. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And the word there for reviving is restores, and it has that, um, that thought of pulling our lives together, pulling our lives together. And I love that because I say that all the time. I'm falling apart. I'm just falling apart today. Or you tell somebody something and you say, that just undid them. Or how about I'm all strung out? That's another one of my favorite things. I'm all strung out. Well, you know what, ladies? The word of the Lord pulls our lives together. It revives us and it restores us. It says that the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Now, that word there for trustworthy has the connotation of a solid foundation. The word of God is solid and it makes wise the simple. Are you not feeling very wise Study the word of God. That is what makes us wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, in verse 8, giving joy to the heart. Now that word there for right means um, straight course. The word of the Lord gives us a straight course. Now I have some superficial examples. Maybe you were like me this summer. You were in your car. You were trying to get to that shower or that wedding. And you didn't quite uh, have the right road and you're lost. And all of a sudden you have to get your tom-tom out if you have one. Or you begin looking at maps go, which um, technically... I'm technologically challenged, so I've got the map, the old maps go, and I'm looking through, and I finally find the right road to get where I need to be. Doesn't joy fill your heart when that happens, when you're finally on the right road to where you need to be? That's superficial, but there's deeper illustrations just like that. Do you feel like you are a little lost? You can't find the right road. You don't know the course that you're supposed to be on. You're feeling a little confused. It says that the word of God gives us a straight course, which gives joy to our heart. If you're wanting to know where you need to be going, read the word of God. And the rest of that verse in 8 says, The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. And that goes along with it. Because that word radiant means brilliant, giving light to the eyes. Are you feeling like it's kind of dark? You can't see very clearly, which makes me think, have you ever been in someplace really dark and just the tiniest bit of light helps you to see? Well, this says, David tells us that this isn't a little light. This is radiant, brilliant light for our eyes. It reminds me of Psalm 119, which is another great psalm to meditate on. What verse 105 says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 
The Word gives us light. If you feel like you're a little bit in darkness, go to the Word of God. It gives us light. And then it says, The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. This is in verse 9. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. Now, I looked up that fear of the Lord because the commentary said that's another synonym for the law. All these words are synonyms of law, precepts, commands, um, statutes, and they all are different aspects of the law. But when I got to fear of the Lord, I thought, hmm, never thought of that as being a synonym for the law. So I looked it up in my concordance, looked up that word in Hebrew, what that was, and found that it means, um, where am I in my notes here? A reverence for God that comes from understanding his law. A reverence for God that comes from understanding his law. And that it is another synonym for law, the fear of the Lord. And it's used in another place in the scriptures. 2 Samuel 23, verse 3. And so I've got that on your verse sheet for you to read later. But that's another place where that same Hebrew word for law um, means fear of the Lord. And so Davis tells us the fear of the Lord is pure, and pure is clean, without any unwholesome part. And sure means particularly strong. So the fear of the Lord is pure, it endures forever, and the ordinances of the Lord are sure. They are very uh, strong, particularly strong, altogether righteous. That means without exception. In the message, uh, it's translated like this. God's reputation is 24 karat gold with a lifetime guarantee. God's word will endure forever. Then in verse 10, we read that the law is more precious than gold, than much pure gold, and sweeter than honey. Now, gold denotes universal confidence. It always has. And even today, in the medical profession, we have what we call the gold standard. And you'll hear doctors talking, if this is a certain disease or a certain problem, then the treatment is this. And they'll say, that's the gold standard. And that means this is the universally accepted best thing to do in this situation, the gold standard. It's, um, the gold, gold is also very valuable. We sang that song talking about the value um, of God's word being like gold. It's very valuable. More valuable than gold is the word of God. It's valuable and it's precious. It's better than any material possession. And I thought um, this week as I was going over these notes, thinking about what is precious? What is a precious material possession that you have? You probably will like to look at it. I was thinking of my engagement ring. It's on white gold, thin band, and it's a small diamond, but it's heart-shaped. And it um, is precious to me. It probably has some monetary value. But I like to look at it. It reminds me of my husband, Scott, when he gave it to me, of our marriage, how much he loves me. It's, um, it's a nice material possession. But much greater than that is God's revelation of himself to me through his word. There is no comparison. There is no comparison to the value of the word of God in my life, and sweeter than honey. I read that honey was the very sweetest substance in David's day. Now, we have all kinds of sweet things now. I don't know if honey is still the sweetest. Maybe it is, but it is very sweet. It is desirable. It's enjoyable. And we see David listing um, 
the word is like honey. It's tasty. And then he says, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. David lists the rewards, the benefits of God's law. They're desirable and enjoyable. And rewarding. And that's why we study the word of God. We study the word of God. God's revelation of himself. His revelation of his nature and his purpose. Because it is valuable and desirable and enjoyable and rewarding. Because God's word is tasty to us. On your um, outline I have God's word is a blessing to us, not a burden. God's word is a blessing. The law of God is not a burden, but a blessing. And David thinks about this great reward in keeping God's word, and he begins to examine his own life and his ways. And in verse 12 and 13, we see him thinking about this. Who can discern his errors? And errors means to wander. Forgive my hidden faults. Those are those things that we do we don't even realize that are against God. We wander away from God. We begin to do things against God. And then he says, keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. And this has the connotation of reigning over oneself, which is pride. So David is asking God, keep him from pride. Keep him from self-reliance, reigning over himself. He wants God to reign over him. David, as he examines his life, realizes that he needs God's cleansing forgiveness to be blameless. He needs God's intervention. He needs God's intervention in this. And as we meditate on God's word, carefully considering what God is saying, that's what meditation is, carefully considering. It means pondering, contemplating. As we ponder who he is and contemplate his plans and purposes, It can lead us into honest evaluation of our lives. And then that leads us into prayer. To talk to God honestly about what we've learned, about what we want changed in our behavior and in our thinking and in our speech. In verse 14, we see David, after examining his life, he lifts up this closing prayer to God. And it's really a prayer request. And these are beautiful words that say, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I love those words, rock and redeemer, to describe God. I love the um, thought that God is my rock. First, rocks come from nature, and that's how David started out this psalm. But to me, a rock is solid and steady and foundational and sure. God is my rock. He is my foundation, steady and solid and sure. And redeemer, my God, who loves me and wants a relationship with me, he redeems me from death which is the penalty of my sin. Jesus, God the Son, paid the penalty for my sin by shedding his blood on the cross. He is my Redeemer. David's prayer is honest and it shows his vulnerability. He's inviting God to scrutinize and correct his thoughts and his words. You know, we too can pray this to God. We too can ask God to shape our inner talk, our our inner thoughts, the meditations, what we say. And when we ask God, when we invite him to do that, we are becoming honest and vulnerable before God. And then he can begin to change us. My prayer for us this semester is this, 
that as we study and read and pray these psalms, that our understanding of who we are and who God is would lead us into intimate, honest, heartfelt conversations with God. Let us shout to the Lord. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do lift our voices up to you in prayer. Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us, not only through your creation, but also through your word. Father, for these words of life that show us who you are and and what you want for us and how we are to live our lives. And Father, I just pray for each one of these women that came out today to study your word, and I pray, Lord, that you would bless them. And Father, I pray that as we study these psalms, as we look at these words lifted up to you, that, Father, we would learn about ourselves and that we would learn about you and that we would call out to you with honest words, whatever the emotions are, Father, that we would call out to you that how we talk to you would be different because we have read these beautiful words in the psalms. And, Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Thank you, Deb. That was so good. My name is Misty Denman, and I'm the morning Bible study director, and I'll be giving announcements most weeks. On Monday... The morning of September 19th, it's a Saturday morning here at church, there is a mentoring workshop.